one of the main jobs of a Rinzai Zen teacher is to work with the students who come to him or her in a very specific way. And that very specific way is to deprive them of anything to hold on to, any ideas, any whatever, anything. That is, if you have worked uh, with a Roshi or an experienced Zen teacher in Osho, you, you might have in that process noticed that going to Doksan or going to Sanzen with the idea of going there to get affirmed in any kind of way is a futile undertaking. The job of the Zen teacher in the Rinzai tradition especially is not to affirm any experiences, not to affirm any kind of identification with having done practice or having had this or that awakening. All of that, from the teacher's point of view, are obstacles. So the only choice that the teacher has is to flat out take all of that away and to deprive the student of anything to hold on to. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, Rinzai Zen teachers are uh, not compassionate human beings. Uh, in the opposite, the longer we practice and the more we mature in this Zen practice, the more we see that all that teaching that one has received over decades came forth out of that compassion for the suffering, for the very resolution that we all are seeking. Compassion doesn't necessarily take on the soft, warm, fuzzy type of expression. Sometimes compassion, especially here in formal Zen training, might not look so fuzzy. In the old times, students were shaken up physically. The famous reports about screaming and hitting with the stick in Sanzen are not made up. That's how it used to be. And that's how it might have been appropriate at that time. Now here in the West we might find some more sophisticated methods than physical uh, encounter with force or yelling. But the principle remains the same. Anything to hold on to will be taken away. There's a famous koan about the stick. If you have a stick, I will give you 
a stick. If you don't have a stick, I will take it away. So there are two, of course, there are two aspects of Rinzai Zen practice, holding fast and letting go. Holding fast is alternated with letting go. Even in our formal practice that we follow here, when we sit in Zazen, that is holding fast by sitting up straight, by following the breath, by being quiet, by not unconditionally affirming our I am self. which at the same time is letting go. Letting go of that I am self. Letting go of the activity of involved cognition. And then when the bell rings and the clap indicates, we all start moving again. That holding fast in our bodily expression gives way to letting go. And so forth, back and forth, back and forth. The formal Zen practice teaches us to not hold on to anything, not to ideas, not to fears, not to predilections, but to just enter into the experience of seeing things as they are. Tatata, suchness, shinyo. Not taking away and not adding. So, we have to be our own teacher. In fact, we all are our own teachers. And we have to let ourselves mature in that function that we offer to ourselves. As soon as you begin to notice that there's something you're holding on to, let that inner teacher do what your Zen teacher would do if you go and see him or her. At least question or completely take it away. Deprive of any achievement. Deprive of anything to hold on to. Because as soon as it becomes something that you hold on to, it is dead. It is no longer alive. It is a snapshot of something that happened. The famous comparison of that very tender grip that we have to learn to have on what is happening right here and now is like the way we would handle a piece of wet soap. If we don't put our hands on it firm enough, it will just slide away. 
fall out. But if we hold it too fast, too hard, the same thing will happen. Here it goes. Learning how to exert the appropriate amount of effort. Learning how to balance letting go and holding fast is a very important part of our practice. And ultimately, it is utterly practical. It will help us in our lives, in whatever situation that might, might come up, to not get stuck, to not hold on to whatever presents, to at least be able to put in that distance that we need to take a breath without fully grinding to a halt and full attachment. All the things that have become stuck in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts are difficult to mobilize again. It is not impossible, but it takes a long time. It takes a lot of deprivation from things to hold on to, to be able to stand up on one's own, to balance, and that is a very good picture for it, to balance without having crutches, to stand up like a grown-up human being. If the ground shifts, our center of gravity tells us, without thinking, how to move without losing our balance. A lot of this deprivation does not necessarily feel great. But developing an understanding that it is necessary for us to let go of what has become so familiar to us, developing that understanding and opening one's eyes to that is what I would call awakening. And awakening is not something that we do. I am awakened will not happen because it's not the I that awakens. It is exactly the I am self that keeps us from being able to see in a state of awakeness. Awakeness is what awakens, not the I. Joshua Roshi used to say, sometimes people come to me and tell me they have seen God. Now, of course, God here stands for that absolute, that clarity, that being awake. And Joshua Roshi used to say, but I have to tell him that is not the real God who you have seen, because as long as there is separation, as there is somebody seeing something, that God is a fake God, an incomplete God. 
the incomplete self gazes upon another incomplete self. Yet when we awaken and the I am self completely moves out of the picture and dissolves, there is no seer, there is nothing seen, there is nobody who feels nothing felt but just the activity. Just that. Nothing else. And of course, an instant later, the I am selves appear again. Oh, what just happened? Finding a new birth. And that is natural as well. So don't be discouraged. The I am self is reborn. And through that rebirth, a renewal can occur. And over and over doing that, we also mature in our ability to see that that I am self was born completely without crutches. That only our mental setup puts up those walls pretty quickly. And the more we see that, the more we learn that there is no need for those crutches, for those walls, for those points to hold on to. Many people report when they have their first experience of just being able to be awake that somehow they feel disoriented. Of course, nothing to hold on to. The same way you learned how to ride a bike. It's somewhat frightening in the beginning when the training wheels are gone. But once it becomes your second nature, without thinking, without hesitation, you get on your bike and just go. one moment at a time, not getting caught in ideas, not getting caught in polarizations of this or that extreme, not even thinking about the middle between polarities, but the true middle way that the Buddha taught about is the middle way that finds its balance in the very moment that is not relative to past or future, but a delicate act of balancing, as we like to say in the Zen tradition, on the sharp edge of the sword. If you lose your balance, you're cut into two, caught in past, future, and the present pain. But if you balance right there on that sharp edge of the sword, there is nothing more alive than that.
Tread carefully.